Hey, and welcome to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. Here you'll find a teaching for your life from God's Word by Pastor Wes Aram. So, let's get to it. All right, so grab your Bibles and open up to the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. There's first five books in the Old Testament, and then it goes Joshua, Judges, Ruth. So, in the, the hard copy you brought with you, I love the feel of pages, so I always bring my hard copy with me, uh, but you can also use it on your electronic device because I do that too. Or if you're like, hey, I'm not sure, there's a Bible in front of you in the pew holder, or you can just get close to someone and uh, look over their shoulder. We totally allow that here, so it's totally, totally great. So we're in a series. Uh, it's called Ruth, and by the way, on the back of your uh, song sheets, there's message notes. So you can take some notes that I've uh, prepared for you because I don't know uh, if you're like me. I know that I'm like me. And so whenever I, that makes sense, right? Wow. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. That was strong. Uh, we will edit that out of our podcast. Um, but uh, I need, it's always helpful to write stuff down. So that's why we, we do that. We give you some room to write down what you uh, believe God speaks to you about and so that you can take it with you. Because we don't just want to be hearers of the word. We want to be doers. We want to f- uh, find out what God has to say, and then we want to put feet to it and say, Lord, help me. I want to follow you. Because God, who is the author of life, knows how life works best. So we're wrapping up this series in the book of Ruth. We're in chapter 4. So Ruth chapter 4. And uh, the uh, name of the series is From Giving Up to Going On. And quick recap, uh, really three main players in, uh, in, this, in this story. Uh, there's Ruth, who the book is named after her mother-in-law, Naomi, and then Boaz, which we met uh, a couple chapters ago. But uh, basically what has happened, quick recap, is uh, Naomi uh, married and with her husband and her sons moved to Moab. While she was there, her husband died. Uh, her sons married and then they died. And, uh, and so they have moved, then Ruth, I mean Naomi, was moving back to Bethlehem, her hometown, and uh, she told her daughters-in-law, listen, I, God is against me, you know, my life is horrible, and, you know, I thought he was for me, but he's, he's not. You know, Ruth, I mean, Naomi was so ready to give up. And Ruth said, listen, I'm not going back, I'm staying with you. And Ruth made a commitment to follow God. She became a God follower. She gave her life to God. She says, your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my people, and I'm committed to you. And so she goes back with Naomi. Naomi is, is ready to give up. You know, she feels all the good things in her life have been behind her, and all she has in front of her are bad things, and that God is absolutely uh, against her. Well, God has been overseeing sovereignly the details of her life, as we've seen, as we've followed the narrative in this story. And last week we left off with Ruth, who uh, went out to the fields to glean grain, which means you pick up leftover grain in order to support herself and feed herself, her Naomi. Uh, She runs into sovereignly, not by happenstance, sovereignly God directs Boaz, who turns out he is in line to be your kinsman redeemer. We talked about that. Basically, a kinsman redeemer in this time was a person who came alongside of a relative who was in deep trouble and maybe even dangerous situation and would redeem them, would rescue them, and would deliver them out of that situation. And as we learned last week, the reason this is so fantastic for us is as believers, when you invite Christ into your life, Jesus becomes your and mine, our ultimate kinsman redeemer. He pays our debt of sin. He steps up as our advocate in a court of law. He steps up as our avenger to fight against the enemy that we have, the enemy of our soul, Satan and his demons. And he brings us into an intimate relationship with him in that we are called the bride of Christ and provides protection for us for all eternity. It's pretty amazing stuff. You can listen to the podcast last week. But Boaz wants to be uh, Ruth's kinsman redeemer, 
And Ruth desires that. But the twist, as we left off last week, kind of a cliffhanger, is that there was somebody else in front of Boaz that actually had the right and the responsibility to be Ruth's kinsman redeemer ahead of Boaz. And so Boaz says, you got to wait. i got to find this out, but I am guarantee you I'm going to figure this out. And we're going to make sure that you and Naomi are going to be taken care of. And so that's where the story is. Boaz wants to be the kinsman redeemer, but there's someone in front of them who, uh, who has the right and the responsibility to do that. So we pick up the narrative in chapter 4, verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. Stop right there just for a minute. Boaz is a guy of integrity. And so he wants to do all things well, all things right. So he is doing that here. He has witnesses. We continue. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you. And I am next in line. So he sets the scene up, tells this guy, hey, this is a situation. You have the right and you have the responsibility to uh, be the kinsman redeemer to Ruth and ultimately uh, as well to Naomi. And so the guy responds, I will redeem it, he said. Sounds great. Sounds awesome. And then Boaz lets him know, hey, the land, there's more than just involved in redeeming the land. Verse 5, then Boaz said, on the day that you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. As we talked about that last week, that was known as a Leverite law, and that part of the responsibility of the kinsman redeemer is to marry um, the, the widow uh, in order to raise up okay, a son that would keep the property, which was a big deal in that time, the property in the family in Israel and in that family line. So that was, again, his, not only his privilege, but his responsibility as a kinsman redeemer. And so Boaz lets him know, hey, Ruth is part of this whole scenario as well. Verse 6, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Boom. The guy bails. He finds out Oh man, this is going to be more involved than I want. It's going to be more, it's going to cost me more than I want to. I'm out. The guy bails. In essence, he disobeys what uh, he should have done. I want to push pause there just for a second because there's some really important lessons that we can learn from that. I have it in front of you on your notes. And the first one is this. Our disobedience costs us. Our disobedience costs us. This guy, this guy had the privilege and had the right and the responsibility to be the one who steps in and uh, redeems and delivers Ruth and Naomi and the property and all involved. And you know what? He did it. He backed out. Did he uh, protect his own property, his own estate? Maybe. We don't know. Here's what we do know, because we know the end of the story, and we've talked about this before. This guy missed out. He missed out on the opportunity to be in line to, to uh, be a part of what God was doing in the narrative of redemption for the entire human race. We'll see more about that in a second. He completely missed out. And so do we. When we disobey, we miss out on what God wants for us. We, it costs us, right? 
It costs us Galatians 6, 7, and 8. God says, you don't mock me. Okay? What you sow, you will reap. The one who sows to please the sinful nature will reap destruction. That's a guarantee. It's not a, well, it might happen. God says, this, I want you to know up front, the love is in the warning. God says, I want you to know if you choose disobedience, if you choose to, to say, hey, God, I know that's your way, but I want to go this way, you will reap destruction. Our disobedience costs us. God wants us to know that up front. All right? It doesn't cost God in terms of it's not ruining, ruining his life or his plans. Okay? God is not up there sweating it out, hoping Wes obeys. Okay? I need my obedience. You've heard me say that. I'm going to say that a hundred times. You know, uh, as long as you know me, because that's so important. Because you need your obedience. God doesn't really need your obedience. You need your obedience. I need my obedience because disobedience costs us. It costs this guy. But it doesn't cost God. And what I mean by that is it doesn't stop his plan, which is the second, the letter B. God's plans move forward even when people disobey. God's plans move forward even when people disobey. This guy disobeyed. And his disobedience was uh, towards Ruth. Did it stop God's plans? Nope. We'll see that in a second. It didn't. His disobedience, okay, towards Ruth did not stop God's plan for Ruth. It's the same for you and for me. People disobey God and they aim their disobedience at you. Their disobedience aimed at you cannot stop God's plan for you. They don't have that kind of power. They don't have that kind of power. They are not stronger than God. They're not stronger than God. So even though it looks bad and it feels bad in the moment, you know, and maybe even that moment is longer, in the end, they cannot stop God's plan for you. They can't because they don't have that kind of power. And we'll see this here. God's plan moved forward even though this guy bailed. So Boaz steps up because he's next in line. He goes, okay, here we go. Verse, uh, verse 6. Uh, at this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Verse 7. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off a sandal and gave it to the other. This was a method of legalizing transactions in Israel. First of all, it's just cool. This is just this is one of those side details that doesn't move the narrative forward. It doesn't do anything for the story. And it is, is an evidence that this is the real deal that you can trust the story, that this wasn't made up. Historians call this a, a, a kind of a detail that because it doesn't seem to really make a difference in the story in terms of moving the narrative forward, that it's one of the markers that this is actually uh, a story that happened and that is true. It's not legend or just made up. He took off a sandal. Here you go. That'd be weird today, right? That would be weird today, but not then. This is how it goes. Verse 8, So the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Here you go. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon, and Malon. Those were the, the two sons who, who passed away. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are witnesses. Everything was done in order. And right, verse 11, Then the elders and all those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. 
they pronounced a blessing over Boaz because he stepped up and did what was right. So the next paragraph, we see a marriage, we see a child, we see another blessing. Look at verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. Just stop there for a second. Your parents didn't give you life. God gave you life. God gives life. He's the author of life. You know, we have two kids. Can't wait to see them. They're coming home from college. It'd be very exciting. Uh, we didn't give them life. God gave them life. And that is a wonderful thing. You're here because God chose to give you life. He wants you here on this planet. That screams value. That screams value. Don't let anybody take that away because they really can't. You know, because this is what God said. He created you. He created you in your mother's womb. You have value because he said, I want you here. I want you on this planet. And he did that uh, for Boaz and Ruth. The woman said to Naomi, Praise be the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Now remember, we started this story that Naomi had a lot of things happen against her. She lost her husband. She lost both her sons. It was, it was brutal. And she took that to mean that God was against her and that she was just ready, ready to give up. And here at the end, we see that, you know what? God wasn't against her. Not at all. And these ladies are proclaiming this, this blessing over her life, how God has taken care of her. Verse 16, Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap, and cared for him. The woman living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. Here it is. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. David. You know, David and Goliath. Remember that kid, you know? Okay, remember him, right? He's the guy who did that to the, to the I know, the sound effects, uh, the visual is just spectacular. I understand that. Yeah, the greatest king in Israel, right? The greatest king in Israel. Obed was the, the grandfather of David. And that's what the, the final verses there, they give a, a genealogy of that, which means that they are in the line of the ultimate king of kings, Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Naomi couldn't have planned that on her best day, but God did. And so we see at the end of this story the trail of God's activity from giving up to going on. And there are some points of application I want to draw our attention to as we kind of wrap this whole series up. The first one is this, and you have it on your notes in front of you. Even when things look hopeless, God is still at work. Even when things look hopeless, God is still at work. We have revisited that truth time and time again throughout this story because we see it time and time again throughout this story that even when things looked hopeless, they felt hopeless, they weren't because God was at work behind the scenes. I mean, again, remember when this story, Ruth, takes place. It takes place during the time of the judges. The judges were, if you want to read uh, the book of Judges, you will read some of the most disgusting stories ever, uh, ever recorded for us in the Bible. They are awful because it shows what happens when people decide that they're going to create their own truth and go their own way. Because the, the line that is the bio line of the whole book is that every man did what was right in his own eyes. And so you will see just the, the history of Israel and Judah there just... 
Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church at Buffalo podcast. To connect with us and to get more encouraging biblical content, go to vcb.church.